Welcome to Catholic Money Mastermind. This is the show where we explore the intersection of our faith and finances. You can learn more about our organization and find show notes at catholicfinancialplanners.com. My my name is Andy Flattery. I'm a certified financial planner in Kansas City. And I am here with Joe Ibarra, who is a CPA in Kansas City. Joe, how are you? I'm doing good, Andy. It's good to uh, be with you. It's kind of funny because... You know, we have planners from all over the country here, and yet this episode, we're just down the street from Kansas City, so it's good to be with a a neighbor here. Yeah, this is the Kansas City special. We need to grab some barbecue after this. And uh, welcome to the podcast here for the first time, Joe. I'm excited to to hear what you have to say. Agreed. Happy to be here. Well, good. So this is the kind of around the horn episodes. We are going to talk a little bit about what's going on in our world and what's going on in the news and kind of talk about that from a... Catholic perspective. I'm, I'm going to talk about interest rates, which doesn't sound super interesting, but I think I think you'll hear the spin that I have on it is uh, maybe a bit of a unique take. And Joe, what do you have on the agenda? I'm going to be talking about a kind of uh, niche teaching of the church called the universal destination of goods. And what I'll leave you with here for now is it's a an interesting way to think about the usual question of the morality of accumulating wealth. So the church has a teaching here that we're going to talk about. I think there's a few things to unpack from it. Yeah, it's super interesting. Maybe you saw this week that the 10-year treasury dropped to 1.2%. So what that means is if you wanted to essentially lend money to the U.S. treasury for 10 years, the way bonds work is you get paid 1.2% a year. So essentially like $12 on a $1,000 bond. And then at the end of 10 years, you get your principal back. So that's how that's how bonds work. And so if you haven't followed the, uh, the bond market at all, just that's quite low. We've had low interest rates for a long time. You know, there was a period like you know, kind of middle of the Trump administration where they were somewhat normal or at least trying to get, get back there. But now we're kind of back to these like rock bottom rates again. So, you know, this was something that I, I really had not thought a whole lot about for, for many, many years. You know, I had heard from like my parents that interest rates used to be a lot higher. And now, of course, they're a lot lower than what they were 30 years ago. But I never really thought a whole lot about it. Um, but recently, I've been giving it more thought. It, it seems like there's more people kind of talking about, you know, what what would it be like if the United States becomes a society of zero percent interest rates, and you know, in the same way that that's the case in like Japan or like developed Europe, where even in some places they have negative interest rates, which is something that I don't even really understand what that means entirely yet. But but I've been reading some authors that have been talking about this idea of the zero interest rate trap, the, the zero interest rate trap, which is kind of interesting. And the, the way to think about interest rates is that it is, it's the price of money. Interest rates are the price of money. So basically, if you want to acquire money, interest rates will tell you how much it, it, it costs to do that. So in other words, if you have high interest rates, money is expensive. And if you have low interest rates, money is inexpensive. Uh, it's cheap credit, if you will. And you know, one of the things that encourages a lot is just consumption over savings. Because if you think about it, if you're not really being incentivized to save because interest rates are low, the, the, the natural 
result is that you would just consume instead of save, right? Because what, why save money if there's no reward for that, right? And so that's kind of interesting. Like, and so this could be one of these things that like helps encourage a society to become more consumer driven than a, than a society of savers. And the other thing that happens is that you, you end up seeing people investing in things they don't understand that are more exotic than, for example, putting money in the bank account. Because, you know, why would you? If, if, you're, if your bank account doesn't really return anything, you're, you're going to look elsewhere. You're going to look to stocks, bonds, real estate, stuff like that, which maybe you don't understand entirely, but it makes sense to move in that, in that direction rationally. And so that's kind of my, my general thesis. You know, this has been happening for years, but I think especially when you see, you know, now 1% 10-year bonds, it makes me especially mindful of the fact that uh, we're living in a, a closer to 0% interest rate world. Joe, do you think about interest rates too? I do. I think it's interesting because it's one of the, I don't want to say few things, but one of the things in the finance world that actually makes its way to kind of the normal day-to-day person's conversation, especially I think of with all these super high home prices, yet the thing that makes it almost affordable is the super low interest rates on the mortgages. And I think you're going to probably talk a lot about this, but interest rates are one of the things that actually makes its way to fundamental everyday decisions that affects whether or not someone can afford a house because of the low mortgage interest rate. It changes whether or not someone's going to park cash in a money market or if they're going to move it to stocks, which of course for a entire country has huge ramifications over the market. So yeah, exactly. I think interest rates are one of those things that really makes its way to the everyday decisions. Yeah. It, t- it touches everything. I mean, if you're talking about the price of money, well, what what is there that money doesn't affect, right? If you're talking about people living in their day-to-day lives. And uh, yeah, you know, I think about the idea of how much house can you afford? And, and people are thinking about that, not in terms of how much money they have to purchase a house, but how much can they borrow, which obviously interest rate really affects. Or you think about this idea of like malinvestment. So if, if money is cheap and it's easier to buy m- more stuff, there is where you get things like malinvestment where people are using cheap money to invest in things that maybe are not worthwhile projects. And so like an example would be if you have like a construction project that was started with easy money or, or cheap credit, and then it wasn't finished because it turns out that it wasn't that worthwhile of a project at all. So like here in downtown Kansas City, there is a half finished 18 story tower. Joe, have you driven by this recently? I sure have. Look, I look at it almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right. I mean, it's right in the central part of the city. It's like right across from the Kaufman Center, which is like our iconic structure right in the middle of, of downtown. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's an example of somebody got the loan to start constructing that tower. In fact, it was a financial institution that moved to Australia. But when when they decided that they did not want to finish the project, that left Kansas City with a half-finished tower that hopefully somebody <laughs> will rescue. I, I don't know what the latest status of it, but he, here it is. We have a half-finished building. It's literally just a structure of beams right now, and it's been that way for months. Yeah. I think it's like a great point about how <clears throat> you think about all the kind of the craziness with you know meme stocks and the market that's been over the last 
few months. I think a lot of it can be attributed to lots of people having money that they don't know where to put. And like right. you said, for buildings, it's also the same true for you know stocks or Bitcoin. It's like everyone has essentially extra funds. And by extra, I just mean that they're, they don't want to have it in cash and they don't know what to do with this. So eventually it gets pushed out into things that, as you said, probably didn't necessitate the investment in the first place. hundred percent. Yeah. And, re- and real estate is the easiest example because it, it's the thing that most people use debt to purchase. You know, Am- Americans here in the United States have the opportunity to use bank money to buy a house. Um, or, you know, in the case of commercial real estate, a corporation can use a bank's money to build a tower or build half of the tower at least. So that's the most obvious example. But yeah, Joe, as you said, it, it kind of affects everything. If, if, if you're in a situation where your savings don't return what they used to. So if you think about like a, a retiree on a fixed income portfolio, and if 10 years ago or 20 years ago, that retiree could get 5% rate of interest in CDs or bonds. Well, today, what as I just as I just pointed out with interest rates being at 1% for a 10-year treasury, if it's now a 1% rate of interest, that retiree who was generating $50,000 on their million on their million dollar portfolio has now only receiving uh, $10,000 on that portfolio. So they just got a pay cut. So it's kind of interesting. So so what should we take away from this? Well, I think I think you know the biggest takeaway is is we still do need to be kind of wise as serpents and just understand what is going on in a zero interest rate environment. It, it's not it's not really an option to be oblivious to it uh, because it's really easy to get sucked in to, to kind of the zero interest rate trap because to some extent you probably do need to play the game. You know, most of us we're, we're going to at some point in our life probably want to live in a home. We're, we're probably going to buy a home and I'm not and I, I'm not saying that people shouldn't try to do that, but um but it's important to be wise as serpents because perhaps the incentives want us to maybe buy more home than what we should at this particular time. So that that could be one word of caution. I, and you know, I think the other thing that I think it's a little bit of an example of the idea that debt is bondage. Debt is bondage if kind of the whole system is based on the ability to maintain low interest rates. So for example, if you own a home, you really want to keep interest rates low because that allows home prices to stay high, right? And so there's a little bit of a built-in incentive for people to kind of want this to continue. And that's Maybe that's a little bit of the idea that of debt being bondage, and that we're all kind of in, we're all kind of not too worried about it, even if there are some kind of pernicious effects of uh, low interest rates. That's my little soapbox, Joe. That's that's good stuff. I think it's super interesting, and you talk about the the bondage of debt, and I think about uh, several friends that I have who are thinking about refinancing their mortgages because of the low interest rates, and a lot of the times it's not doing a refinance that, you know, lowers the long-term years of their bondage, but usually they're refinancing back to a full 30. And uh, it kind of just makes you question. I I even think about things, how, you know, when you go make a big purchase, you do a, you know, 0% financing. It probably makes people purchase things that they shouldn't afford in the first place. And probably most true in homes. And I almost think that right now you have to make decisions less about all these kind of financial indicators 
and more just like take a step back and ask yourself, like, is this really a value that I can afford? Is this an endeavor I want to go through? Because the whether it's interest rates or just general market themes, you almost have to take a step back and just look at it from almost a, a simple principle perspective, which is a challenge. I think it's a, a big call to everyone out there to <laughs> not get caught up in the swings of, of the world and to kind of evaluate for yourself. Because I, I feel like you can get really caught up in, uh, like, as you said, the 0% interest rate trap. I think that's a very descriptive way to put it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the easiest thing to do is if you're making your mortgage payment, you you look at what a lower payment would look like. And that kind of first order of thinking of that is, well, I want the payment to be lower. That That's good, right? But as you point out, what, what, what actually happens more often than not is people end up extending the loan out even further, or they end up maybe taking on more debt, like if they're taking cash out of the house or if they're like rolling up closing costs into the note because it, it costs money to refinance. So you need, you need to be careful about that. Even if it's lowering your payment, it isn't necessarily getting, getting you ahead. And you know, essentially, you could be putting yourself in a position where it's just extending the lifetime of payments that a lot of people are going to have. Yeah, very true. I think this might lead a little bit into what I was going to talk about because spending and mortgages and things you maybe shouldn't or can't afford ties very well into the, I love saying it, universal destination of goods. Sounds very formal, very serious. And I will, first of all, say a quick plug to a Kansas City native podcast that I got church teaching from called the City on a Hill podcast, which is led by a great friend of actually ours, me and Andy yeah, both, yeah. Father Andrew Mattingly, a uh, priest here in one of the parishes of Kansas City. And he brought this up a few weeks ago at a homily. And uh, the podcast is made up of several things, one of which is recordings of Father Mattingly's homilies. But the uh, the short story here, and then I'll, of course, go more into it, is the universal destination of goods essentially says that once someone and or their family has met their basic fundamental needs, speaking mostly financially here, that anything in excess is technically not theirs. And what I mean by that is they have the obligation to return that excess, that abundance, back to those around them. So here's where it begins, essentially. And there's, I believe it's paragraph 2402 of the Catechism, if you want to dive a little bit deeper into this yourself. Uh, The Catechism talks about the general point that when God created the world, he gave mankind stewardship over this abundance of resources. And he gave us labor to take advantage of and you know make great fruit from this abundance, the abundant resources of the world. However, the main point here is that it was meant for all of humankind. It was it was given to not one person in particular, but to the human race as a whole. And what's really interesting here is it, it, there's a unique balance between this principle 
And of course, the very fundamental, very American, we can talk about this in a second too, notion of private property and yeah, rights of personal property and the, the kind of the validation or pride that we might have in, in accumulating our own wealth, working hard, deserving everything that we get. So this, this teaching of the church says that these two ideas, both you know, personal property and earning what you've made, can go hand in hand with this idea that all the resources of the world are not meant to be accumulated by any one particular person, but yet shared and meant for all of humanity. So to kind of go, you know, one step deeper into what it looks like, essentially, once someone has has satisfied all of their their basic physical and spiritual needs, Father Magdalene made a great point that as humans, we are part physical, part spiritual. So not only do we need food, water, shelter, we also need, you know, peace and leisure and rest. So once we've fulfilled all of these basic needs and, of course, prudently saved for the future, once these two items are met, we have to do uh, a critical job assessing what above that is excess and start thinking about how we have to, in an obligation, give that back to society. So it's it's pretty radical because, <laughs> one, most people think that if I've earned it and I've accumulated it in a just way, then it is mine and I can do with it what I will. So that's one point. And then two, people also think that if they choose to give money out of charity, that is an act of generosity. But this point really says that, no, it's not technically yours. Anything in excess is not technically yours, and that you have an obligation to give it back. I have a few more points, but any initial thoughts, Andy, on the, the radicalness and the counterculturalness of this universal destination of goods. Yeah, I, uh, I really enjoyed the podcast. And I wonder, I wonder if the answer is not I can do with it what I, sh- what I could, but maybe I can do with it what I should. My favorite part was he, you know, he talks about how he has counseled a lot of young newlyweds and how w- one of the things that comes up is maybe these newlywed couples will say, hey, we, you know, we've, got, we've got $100,000, we have got $200,000 of student loan debt. Is this a just reason for us to wait to conceive, to, to wait to have children while we're in this state of trying to pay down debt? And you know, father said, I'm going to say not as eloquently as he did, but he said, no, that's not, that's not a just reason to do it because there are plenty of people in, you know, in church communities that would love to support a young family like that. And I think, you know, as men, as Americans, it's hard to accept charity sometimes, but uh, we want to be good stewards. We, we want to help young families like that. And I think we've gotten away from that in the way that we give charity today. But he's talking about, you know, really helping those around us, like helping our individual communities, like those, those in our own, our own orbit that need help. It's pretty radical, like you said. Yeah, it's good. Uh, two thoughts you just kind of made me think of. One is, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure in the same podcast or not, but Father Manley has talked about the notion of the self-made man and that how nothing can be 
uh, more untrue. And you can think about, you know, all the people that have, you know, got you to where you are. Maybe more importantly, <laughs> more biologically, you can think about your parents, you know, so that no one is a self-made man and that uh, you, you really can't owe anything to yourself. And of course, if you take that notion of parents and grandparents all the way to its logical end, it, you know, you get to the point of God, you know, God gave us everything. So it's tough to make the argument of I'm a self-made man and I have all of this because of my own accord. But the second point that you made me think of was, I believe it's called the law of subsidiarity. Are you familiar with this? Sure. Andy? Yeah. Right. The, uh, the, the idea that if you have a need, you should first go to the people nearest you. For example, you know, you're in a tight spot, you need some money, you should first go to your to your family, maybe your siblings. If they can't help you, you go to your closest friends, or maybe you go to your neighbors. If they can't help you, then you go to your greater community, your parish, your school. If they can't help you, maybe you go to your county, and then of course, you know, state. The point is, the federal government should be the last step to fulfill, a, and probably for two reasons. One, it's less efficient the further you move out. But two, I think to this point, it's less personal. And so I feel like the universal destination of goods also speaks to the power of taking care of those in and around you and the fact that they might be able to take care of you as well. Because I think when St. Paul was writing about this to the Corinthians, which I believe was the reading that spurred this from Father Mattingly, the, the the people of the community were talking about how some people have excess of this and others have excess of that and how it's unfair. And I believe St. Paul was essentially saying that if you have excess in one thing, you can give so that no one is deficient. And at the same time, if you live in this kind of community, they would do the same for you in other ways. So in the modern world, you can think about, I don't know, getting help with taking care of your children and giving right. them rides to, I don't know, athletic programs, or maybe someone's, a, you know, very much a handyman and uh, can help you out with that home project. Very radical. I don't think this happens, you know, and at scale, but certainly an interesting exercise to think about. What are the applications of this if you really, if you really went after it? Joe, can I ask a question or maybe just even make a little bit of a challenge to this? I'm just trying to think through this myself. Yeah. So one of the things that I think about sometimes when I hear people talk about this, like people kind of like in the Catholic integralist movement is mm. a lot of times they, they seem to kind of downplay the importance of savings. And I, you know, I heard fathers say like, you want to make sure that you put a little bit away for the future. But when I think about, you know, a lot of the things that like human civilization finds worthwhile you know, if it's like a matter of like building a cathedral or creating a, a magnificent work of art or starting a business or starting a school or like leaving a legacy for your generations, like all of those things require savings. And I just wonder how, how to understand savings in this context. Like I think, you know, especially like in the modern context, you know, a lot of us we get paid on the on the first and the fifteenth, and so everything is kind of like thinking about like what your monthly expenses are and leaving a little bit left behind. But that, that's kind of a modern way that people, 
you know, live their financial lives. You know, if you're like a, a tent maker in biblical times, you don't, you don't get paid on the, on the first and the 15th. You know, you, you might get paid when, when you finish the tent <laughs> or, or if you're a fisherman, you get paid when you catch the fish and sell it at the market. And so, so it seems to me like in that situation, like if you're in the tent making business, you might want to have savings because there might be a lot of uncertainty in, in that sort of business, or there might be a lot of uncertainty when you're going to catch, you make your next catch. So I just, that's kind of my only, my only thought is like, how do you think about savings in this context? Yeah, it's a good question. I have, I have a few thoughts on it. One is I was thinking about this from a kind of a practical perspective on at what point do you define your excess? Because of, of course, theoretically, you could save an infinite amount because you don't know what you're going to need at some later point. I think the way most people think about it is I'm going to save a lot during my working years so that in retirement, I can give very generously. And I, I think I think maybe that's not the best way to go about it if you really wanted to play this principle out. I think what someone might do is almost draw a line of, and of course, like it could increase every year or as you go through different stages of life. But at any point in time during your life, you cross that line, you have to discern what's the best need of those savings at the moment. I think, I think one of the pitfalls is assuming that you're going to save all this money and at some point in retirement, that's when you're going to build your legacy of generosity. That's when you're going to build or you're going to help build the great church. You're going to pay for the scholarship fund, you know, to really more trust in, in God and trust in, in the way things are going to work out. And maybe also trust in the principle itself that if at any point in time you do, let's say, give too much and you're in a pinch, you can trust that the principle will come back in your own favor. So I just think my initial thought is kind of having this, this line that you draw. At any point in time, you go above the line, you think about you know, moving those savings, so to speak, out almost immediately so you're not detached. I feel like the more you build up savings, the, the, the harder it's going to be for you to, to let them go. You talk about the tent maker <laughs> and not getting paid all at once. And I think the, the ideal is to be in a community where people finish their tents on different days and people hit their stride at different times, whether it's their business, their job, something goes well. I think at the same time, other people are going to be on the opposite end of the spectrum. Someone's going to lose their job. Someone's going to have a tragedy. So I think, I'm, I'm not sure this answers your question. You might have to <laughs> get me back on track here. But my my general thought is if everyone just follows the principle at the time that it becomes appropriate for them, you don't have to think too much about it. And at any point in time, you're the one who falls on the wrong end of the spectrum. You can trust that someone else will be on the, po- the positive end. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's well said. And another thing I think it's worth pointing out is that there there is, at least in my mind, I think there's a difference between having excess, what's the word? Maybe just excess money and like excess goods. So if you if you have excess stores of grain and, and your neighbor is starving and there's no there's no other sources of food in the kingdom, 
Well, money, giving your neighbor money does you no good because your neighbor can't go to the store and buy any grain because there isn't any. And so obviously we have, we have food in abundance today. That might be more of a biblical example. But like I think about sometimes I'll see like, oh, like in my community or something, a young family might ask around on Facebook, hey, we've got a young family. Our car just died. Does anyone have a van sitting in the garage that they want to get rid of? And a lot of times, Joe, I'll, just, I'll see people like get a van for free. Because they'll ask and, and lo and behold, like somebody's got an extra car lying around because we do live in a world where that like that kind of happens. Like people kind of hoard these old vehicles that they, and they don't have anything to do with them. Well, you could probably find a, a young family that could use it. And good for people for asking too, because it's, it's not always easy to do that. No, I think that's a great example. In fact, this happened to me. <laughs> I, I drove an older car and I was going to inherit another old car from my grandfather and I could have like tried to sell it, but it would have been, you know, almost marginal. And I think this point really comes out that it is literally more valuable to give it to somebody else than to sell it like essentially, you know, 500 or a thousand dollars for, you know, a car on its last leg is way less valuable than giving someone transportation for, you know, however long it lasts. I think that's the kind of mindset that this principle really kind of calls you to. And I think you do a good job of making the point that it's not maybe just about money because Father Maddenly also makes the point that it's not even just about things of material goods. Like the principle also applies to things like skills and talents. It's not, it's not helpful to accumulate to yourself, some great gift that you have, because it's almost as if the the greater society uh, has an obligation to that gift as well. And he uses the example of the great St. Thomas Aquinas, right? Who, if, if he could just sit in a room by himself and enjoy, bask in all of the, the intellect that he was given, he would be essentially robbing the rest of the world of this great gift that God gave not just to him, but he gave to humanity. He just gave it to humanity through Aquinas. And this is true for all of us in, in the work that we do, the skills that we have, the charisms that we have. So I think, you know, it's it's probably most applicable to money, but definitely not limited to money. Yeah, it, it brings up something that I've been thinking about a lot and talked about before on podcasts, written about, but uh, just trying to wrestle with the um, compatibility of my Catholic faith and retirement, where it seems like there's a lot of aspects of retirement that are troublesome to me. If retirement means kind of like checking out entirely and spending a couple of decades just golfing in uh, an isolated community in Florida, it seems to me you're not maybe serving or using your gifts in the best way where, you know, the, the, the wisest people that we have are, are the elderly, you know, where you've kind of like, you've lived a life, you, you do have a lot to offer. But if you're kind of doing this, this version of retirement, it seems to me that, that there's a lot to be um, asked for there. So I don't, I think about that a lot. It's, it's not only that maybe my generation doesn't respect our elders, but also to some extent, like the elderly have sometimes checked out if that, if that's what they're going for in retirement. Did I just say something heretical, Joe, in terms of financial (laughs) planning? I I think the, 
I think it's pretty it's pretty spot on. I think you, you say heretical. I think maybe the better term as, is, as a CFP, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, the term is very countercultural, very much against the general rules of you know financial planning. But I think a, a great challenge. I think oftentimes, at least in both the the moral sense, but also the practical. A lot of times, if you see everyone going one direction, it's a good indicator to kind of say, "Hmm, maybe maybe this isn't the best thing." I think these uh, this typical retirement to where you you know build up enough wealth to live off of and you check out is uh, kind of one of those things where you might kind of raise your hand and say, "I don't know, like is this really the best way?" Because I think. I think that's a challenge a lot of people have who have done such a great job. And this is definitely not only admirable, but virtuous to, to work hard and to save and to really defer that, that satisfaction of spending all of your money. But honestly, it, it could be done to such an extreme that you find yourself at a relatively young age with enough money to live off of comfortably for the rest of your life. And so the challenge then is finding through you know lots of thought and reflection, what it is am I going to do now? And to your point, that that might be contributing to society or to your family in in some way. But also, I think back to the point of the universal destination of goods. It probably for some people requires a lot of thinking around how am I going to to give this money back? How am I going to strategically and impactfully and joyfully? give this this wealth that I've accumulated over my lifetime back in in a profound way. And, and by profound, I mean both for the people or organizations that you're giving to, but also profoundly for yourself. You know, one of the greatest things about charity is it makes you <laughs> makes you feel great. And I think more and more people are wanting to do this now while they're alive and they can see and interact with the beneficiaries as opposed to passing away and having a check from your state go to somebody. So I think that's a great challenge. Definitely heretical in the financial planning world, but I think a good challenge nevertheless. Yeah, but the thing to affirm about financial planning, of course, is that what you're trying to do is have intentionality about what you want your money to do for you. So if you really think hard about what you what most people want retirement to look like, the reality is what I described is what people have kind of fallen into without intentionality. But if you sit down and really kind of plan it out, most people want to have meaningful lives and they want to be able to give back in retirement. It's just a matter of making that happen. And uh, and sometimes we, we fall into the trap of just kind of you know going with the flow, going with the stream, if you will. And so that's the thing to, to affirm about financial planning is you can think about it now and then make sure you take the steps to make that make that goal happen for you. Exactly right. I think, I think, I think you summed it up well. That's perfect. Well, good. So yeah, we will put the link to Father Mattingly's talk about the universal order of goods uh, in the show notes. And then I think what we'll do, Joe, is just wrap this up with some recommendations. Do you, do you have any good recommendations beyond, uh, beyond that podcast good, episode? Good, uh, good question. I think <laughs> at, uh, at, at first glance, I would say, please, Go check out the podcast in general. As I said, it's made up of some of the recorded homilies of Father Maddenly, but also it's a young adult apostolate, a young adult ministry in Kansas City that also has several great stories of, mm-hmm. of young Catholics who have had 
great conversions or who are living out their faith in a very profound and intentional way. So I think maybe for this week, I'll just uh, point you there for some inspiration and some good, some good Orthodox teachings. Yeah. So city on the hill, Kansas city is the podcast and it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I echo that it's in my, it's in my lineup too. I subscribe. I listen to all the good stories and the great homilies by father Manningly. You know, my, my recommendation for this month, Joe is a little bit more lowbrow. So I'm still on a quest as a young dad to like find what I think is like good family entertainment. And by good family entertainment, I don't just mean like wholesome stuff for the kids, but stuff that I literally can enjoy with my children as a family. (laughs) That's kind of like my ideal, my ideal goal. And I just found this film that I had heard about, but I always assumed that it was not that great because it's like 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. But it came out in 2002. It's got a star-studded cast, and it's called Reign of Fire. Have you hmm. seen it? I have not. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I've, I'm, uh, I'm familiar, and I've heard it, but uh, not seen it myself. Okay. So it must have come out you know, after Lord of the Rings where they were trying to you know, put more dragon movies out there. Because it is a dragon movie, and some of the CGI is, you know, it's it's very 2002, which is po- probably partially why it um, it got such low reviews. But I also think it's because it's very virtuous. So it's like a old school kind of hero film, especially if you're like a young boy. There's a good uh, hero's journey for the Christian Bale character, who's kind of the main character. And the young boy that Christian Bale has adopted, and he's like the father figure. So it's very virtuous. It's wholesome, but it's also like an action flick because they're killing dragons. And it's got a really star-studded cast. So Christian Bale's in it, Matthew McConaughey's in it, and uh, Gerard Butler is in it too. So Wow, um, that is packed. Yeah. So like I recommend it. I would say if you're looking for a good film to watch with like your young boys, um, it's uh, it's got action. It's not too violent, and uh, it's uh, it's got good virtuous heroes too. So, Reign of Fire is uh, is my recommendation of the month. That's awesome. I'm also on board with you. There's no reason why <laughs> doing things with your kids can't be fun for the both of you. I think it's a great challenge, both for movies, but also you know activities. It should be fun for everyone. So, good uh, good catch for finding one that's good for both. I like it. Well, good, man. Well, Joe, hey, good job. First time out on the podcast. How does it feel? Do you feel like you've we've broken you in good enough? Yes, I think so. It helps uh, talking to a friend. I'm glad we, you and I haven't uh, spoken in a bit. So it's, it felt like catching up with an old friend, which is exactly uh, what it was. So happy to be here with you. I think we did all right. Like Great. It. Yeah. And you and I are going to have lunch on Friday too to continue this. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining the Catholic Money Mastermind podcast, and we will see you next month. God bless.